Hello, this is Graham Plaster, CEO of TheIntelligenceCommunity.com and The Intelligence Community, Inc., and I'm here uh, with Jay Harrison right now, and he's going to be uh, walking you through some pretty interesting stuff that's happening in the defense and intelligence innovation ecosystem. Jay, I was wondering if you could just give us a quick bio of, of uh, what you've done. Yeah, sure. Thanks for, uh, thanks for chatting with me, Graham. So my background was uh, Uniform Navy. Coming out of college, I was an intel officer and found my way into the intelligence community as a civilian after that. Uh, because I was an engineer, I kind of got into the technical side of things in, in the intelligence community. And I was given responsibility pretty early in my career for some rapid acquisition activities uh, that the Department of Defense was uh, standing up after 9-11. So I, I ran an organization that, that uh, developed and fielded and prototyped intel surveillance and reconnaissance systems for some very specific missions. Uh, that we were concerned with, primarily in Iraq, but later migrating into Afghanistan. That, that gave me uh, what I'd call my, uh, my, my, my dubious flirtation with the acquisition world inside DOD. It was a tremendous learning experience, um, but it also provided me with a lot of insight in terms of things that the department perhaps needs to be looking to improve upon if we're going to be uh, competing in a more fast-paced, reactive technological environment. Uh, so I left government service in 2006, founded a, a number of startups, uh, the biggest of which was a company called MAV6, uh, exited MAV6 in 2014, and had the opportunity to go into academia. So I am now with New York University as the, as the John Boyd National Security Research Fellow at NYU, where I have responsibility for the national security portfolio there. Uh, and I, uh, as part of my, my time at NYU, uh, led a summer study effort in 2015 looking at uh, how the department could improve its innovation posture, primarily focusing on human capital, uh, which is sort of a different way to think about, I would say, innovation in the DOD space. People tend to gravitate towards technology and not people as, as the, the primary focus. So out of the summer study effort that I was involved in, uh, the, the concept for the MD5 National Security Technology Accelerator was born. Uh, for those of you who don't know, MD5 is a uh, human capital innovation program inside the Office of the Secretary of Defense. It's, it's a lesser-known uh, brother to DIUX, but it has a complementary mission. Uh, and I had the opportunity to come into the building, still uh, as an NYU person, but, but appointed into DOD in a non-political appointment to lead MD5 for a period of time. And I transitioned out of that position on 1 January. So I've kind of had my, my fingers in different elements of, of the innovation game inside DOD for almost 20 years now. And it's, it's kind of gratifying to see uh, some of these things 
taking off at this point. Now that the trick for us, I think, is to is to hang on to the goodness and make sure that uh, make sure that there's there's a sustained effort driving some of these activities forward, and people don't lose interest, and you know, have innovation become another fad. Yeah, totally. So, what does MD5? Where does the name come from? And what is MD5 all about? What's the, the mission statement? Um, so, the, the name for MD5 came out of actually the, the physical location of the organization. So, uh, we developed the organization at Fort McNair, uh, which is in Southwest Washington D.C. The original name of Fort McNair. Uh, was laid down in the, the, the plans that Pierre L'Enfant drafted for the District of Columbia. So uh, that, that reservation where Fort McNair is today was originally called Military District 5. And, you know, I, I think there's, there's a, lot of, uh, a lot of programs that are almost trying to flee their military heritage and come up with jazzy new, new names that evoke the startup world. I think we, we, we wanted to come up with something cool. We like the idea of anchoring it to the traditions of DOD. So we elected to call our organization MB5 for the you know original naming convention for our home, which was at the time Fort McNair. That's really cool. So, so what does MD5 do and how do you fit in with the whole uh, – <clears throat> wider ecosystem, CIUX, and Hacking for Defense and other programs. So I'm going to be a little circumspect here to the extent that, you know, I, I no longer have any any official management supervisory role at MD5. Uh, the, the, the deputy uh, who I brought in, a gentleman named Morgan Plummer, assumed the director's responsibilities on 1 January, and so I, I don't want to speak out of turn, but I'll give you the historical perspective on it. Um, that's that's great. We'll, we'll definitely interview Morgan Plummer eventually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Morgan's a great guy. So um, the, the differentiator relative to the approach that MB5 was pursuing from its inception was how do you cultivate networks of technologists warfighters and entrepreneurs to collaborate in a catalytic way to come up with solutions to national security problems. And that's a very different value proposition than trying to harvest technology from existing companies or existing startups and have them pivot back towards DOD. Uh, you know, DOD is really not an attractive market for a venture capital-backed startup in general. Uh, in the margins in DOD are not the best. The size of the market is not the best. Uh, most of these existing companies are, are looking for things that have scalability, and you're not going to find scalability necessarily inside DOD. So the question becomes, you know, how can DOD – cultivate this, that, that kind of entrepreneurial activity without trying to convince existing companies to, to shift focus towards a, a market that really is not where they want to end up. And I think the answer is, is pretty clear. You know, historically, DOD has played the foundational role 
been driving a lot of the high-tech innovations that, that have, have created the high-tech economy in the United States, the high-tech economy in the world, Internet, GPS, microwave, more recently autonomous vehicles. All of these things were born in DOD. And I think we've somehow convinced ourselves that innovation or invention is a better word, no longer happens in DOD and we have to look elsewhere. The reality, in our opinion, is very different. The reality is, is that the early stage problems that are born in extreme conditions, like, like the military faces, the, the risky technologies that we invest in uh, in DOD, you know, either inside our laboratory system or through our contractors, uh, the, the unique infrastructure resources that we have, all of these things are incredibly important assets that we can leverage to drive the creation of new startups or new internal programs inside the department that will answer critical national security questions and help underwrite our, our competitiveness. So that's the difference. The difference is MD5 is really focused on mobilizing people around these unique assets that DOD has, technology, problems, infrastructure, early stage capital, early markets, to drive the creation of high potential startups that will produce products or technologies that DOD can leverage through time versus trying to go out and engage existing startups and pivot them back to DOD problems. Okay. That's, that's perfect. So <clears throat> you're no longer uh, with MD5. You said you're an academic now um, doing a national security fellowship with uh, New York University. Um, is that 100% of your time, or are you also working on some other things? Um, so I, I have responsibilities at NYU. Um, I have I continue to advise MD5. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm working for the, the new director to help structure some specific activities and provide advice relative to things that the organization ought to be looking at. Uh, and I am assisting with the design of the innovation programs that will be part of, of the new Army Futures Command uh, organization that, that you may have heard about. So the Army is in the midst of its largest reorganization since 1973. That's creation of a new four-star command that will consolidate a combination of, uh, of research and development and uh, a few forward-looking concept development activities under a single umbrella and they call that the Futures Command. So uh, I think one of the unique aspects of the Futures Command are some of the innovation programs that we're looking to deploy. Uh, but I'm at liberty to talk, to talk about that yet, so we'll have to do another one of these when, when things get a little firmer. Sure. Uh, can you say, like, maybe how far out we might need to wait before we have another one of these? Yeah, you know, the the... Well, I, I don't know that I can, unfortunately. I mean, I, I, I'll say this. I mean, the, the, every, everything associated with Futures Command right now is, is uh, 
is being pretty closely held, so I'm, I'm just going to avoid it for the most part. Okay. That's fine. So um, based on your position where you are, obviously you can't talk about some of the things. Uh, what resources do you typically recommend to colleagues that are interested in innovation and defense and maybe maybe an organization you think they should join or an app you think they, they should use or a podcast they should listen to or a book you think they should read? What's some, some things that are top of mind that you would share with listeners? You know, I I um I guess there, there are a couple of thoughts I have. I mean, for folks who are in in the industry or have businesses looking to engage with DoD, I think the first step is is always to develop relationships, uh, and and the relationships are what lead to the business opportunities. Um, almost all of the services now are making a concerted effort to come up with new channels to engage entrepreneurs. Air Force has AFWorks. Um, the SOCOM has SoftWorks. OSD has MD5, and MD5 has a variety of, of, of types of programs that I would say are geared more towards the earlier stage entrepreneur than existing companies. Uh, there's, of course, DIUX that has uh, vehicles that, that – uh, uh, opportunities that they solicit to uh, to target emerging products and emerging technologies for specific applications and needs. You know what what a lot of people don't know is that the, the center of gravity for the and maybe I should clarify the point that I'm about to make. Uh, I mean you're obviously familiar with other transaction vehicles, uh, but your listeners may not be, so I mean, the, the other transaction vehicles are basically commercial-style contracts that the government can issue, so it mitigates a lot of the regulatory uh, policy overhead that you normally associate with a, uh, a federal government contract. And uh, the, the center of expertise within not just the Army, but all of DOD for these OTs is is – is at Picatinny Arsenal, uh, the Army Contracting Command Armaments Research and Development Center at Picatinny. And they have more experience than anybody in issuing these types of vehicles. Uh, and Picatinny in particular has, has prototyped a model for other transactions that are based on consortia. So groups of companies banding together to provide access to uh, to new partners that the DOD doesn't ordinarily engage with. Uh, there are a number of these different consortia that exist, and I really encourage, encourage earlier stage startup people to engage with these consortia as a potential uh, mechanism to gain access to opportunities inside DOD. Um, the, the the resources in terms of things that that I read, you know, I, I'm well. <laughs> Like a lot of people who spend too much time in DOD, I'm kind of a wonky dude at the end of the day. So, I mean, I, I think the things that are of greatest interest to me from a, from a knowledge standpoint are, are uh, looking at, at either research or concepts that have been applied in different contexts from defense and trying to identify 
the connection with how we think about things inside DOD. So, uh, you know, I read a lot of economics textbooks. I read a lot of uh, science and technology textbooks. I'm reading a history right now of a, uh, a project that was executed back in the 60s looking at the role of basic research on innovation inside DOD. Uh, that project's called Project Hindsight. And, and what that based, what, what at least the findings of that study revealed were that uh, surprisingly basic research didn't really correlate to helping drive uh, product innovation inside the department. And certainly was surprising to me to read that. But um, yeah, those are the type of things I look at. So the book is called Hindsight, Project Hindsight? Well, it's actually a report that was uh, it was written in 1967. So it's online. You just search on Project Hindsight and uh, Department of Defense, folks will find it. Okay. Yeah, we'll take a look. Okay. So last question is uh, for all the people that listen to this podcast that are interested to take some action. You've already said, okay, look into the OCA consortia which I appreciate because, uh, as I mentioned to you, we're putting together our own consortium right now and trying to get a lot of involvement with that across the ecosystem. But uh, other than joining a consortium or, or reading a, a report on Project Hindsight, what is one call to action you'd uh, encourage entrepreneurs and maybe veterans to, to do uh, today? You know, I'm rarely I'm at a loss for words, but I guess the way I'll put it is, is this. I mean, there are a number of opportunities that are available to individuals and not just companies to engage with, with the department um, through events like, like hackathons, let's say. So uh, AppWorks, uh, MB5, are two examples of organizations that are are leveraging. Well, what I mean by a hackathon is sort of a uh, an unstructured uh, innovation gathering that lasts 48 to 54 hours, typically through a weekend, where you'll have certain defense challenges that are are brought in and exposed to folks who understand technology. And then, and then over the course of that weekend, you'll have teams form up around different solution sets and, and prototyping happens. I mean, obviously, you're not necessarily going to build a, a full-scale solution over a weekend, but you get some really remarkable uh, brainstorming and, and low-resolution prototyping activity. Uh, for, the, for folks who are interested in innovating around national security, that haven't locked themselves in necessarily to a career path yet, or even if they they have locked themselves into a career path and they want to look at at, at gain exposure to some problem sets that that warfighters are currently looking to address. I think participation in in things like the MD5 hackathons is is a great experience. So I, I would encourage that type of engagement on the individual and not just the corporate level. Okay, that's great. Uh, a lot of people in our network are not uh, are no longer in university programs and don't live in Tampa, don't live in 
uh, Silicon Valley, don't live uh, anywhere uh, close to these geographic hubs. Uh, do you have any ideas how an entrepreneur or an innovator that lives outside of the, the Beltway or outside of Silicon Valley uh, and can't get access to what are these um, hackathons, how they can participate? So I guess a couple things. I mean, one is that uh, the, the, there are crowdsourcing activities that, uh, you know, and what I mean by crowdsourcing is uh, more, more virtual problem solution type innovation events that, uh, that are being experimented with. I don't have the latest on, on when the next one is going to take place, but obviously using uh, online resources for that type of problem solving is something that, that I know the department is looking at. Certainly, I'm, it's an area that is of great interest to me. So how about this? Be, be on the lookout for crowdsourcing-type activities that we will be uh, deploying uh, in, in the future. And you know, I think that that mitigates some of the geographic uh, issue. Yep. Yeah, and you know, as, as you know, crowdsourcing is something that uh, TIC does and has done in the past. Um, one of the things we run into is a lot of crowdsourcing projects are done uh, purely through volunteerism, or maybe they're done through bounties. Uh, like the bug bounty program in Pentagon um, or in, uh, insider threat bounties. Um, what, what I would like to see personally, this is Grant Plaster speaking, is uh, crowdsourcing activities that create new economies. So imagine that you have across uh, the Midwest a bunch of innovators and they don't have direct access to the Washington, D.C. ecosystem or the Silicon Valley ecosystem, but they've got great ideas. And if we can create a crowdsourcing opportunity that isn't just volunteer your intellectual property and then we'll pat you on the back, but it's, it's somehow an opportunity that creates a long-term value proposition, then uh, I think there's, there's a special um, benefit to that. Uh, to the, yeah, I mean, to so the one, of the, one of the tricks... One of the tricks there, Graham, is, uh, you know, f finding a way to resource the, the winning ideas. Um, you know, there, there's a – you're probably familiar with Innocentive. There, there are a number of platforms out there, basically, where uh, a corporate sponsor will resource a solution or resource a winning idea. Uh, so the, the winner will receive, you know, let's say anywhere from 10000 to – $25,000 if their idea is the one that's selected. Um, I don't have any direct exposure to whether there's a DOD organization that's cracked the code on the funding piece. I know there are things like bug bounties that have been resourced, but uh, I think at the end of the day, the, the federal acquisition regulations allow for this type of thing, and as more organizations in DOD get comfortable with that type of approach, you, you will see you will see what you're talking about. So I mean I think it's I think it's only a matter of time. Yeah, well it's interesting that we we have things like um, 
CSA schedule or the soup. You know, we have things that are pre-competed and allow a lot more free play for the government to, to buy things out of the catalog. Uh, what would be interesting is to commoditize services in the same way that, say, um, Upwork or Fiverr or um, you know, Elance and, or Uber has commoditized these services into almost like a product instead of a service. If you were to put those microservices into um, a catalog, a, pre, a pre-competed catalog, uh, and then accelerate the transaction, um, and then also spread them across the country instead of pooling them geographically, um, it could, it could uh, instead of doing a, a bounty system as uh, an awards space, you could do an economy. Yeah, just out of curiosity, have you have you talked to GSA about this type of approach? I haven't yet. No, um, part of me is actually just kind of um, brainstorming with you. So, if you have suggestions, I'll uh, I'll go offline on on that and take some action. But, um, yeah, I mean, the, I know you read books on economics, so <laughs> you can give me some suggestions. The my observation is the GSA is, is one of the most, if not the most entrepreneurial organization in the federal government. So they, they are, they are very forward leaning in terms of how yeah. their authorities can be, can be used to underwrite, uh, you know, activities that, that government sponsors want to support. Um, yeah, I, 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 let me give some thought to who I would recommend you engage with that I, uh, I do like that idea quite a bit, so we should talk more. Okay. Well, that's the end of my questions. Is there anything else you want to add uh, as you sign off? No, I mean, I I guess what I'll say is uh, sort of kudos to you in terms of keeping the intelligence community uh, moving forward and and growing. I mean, the uh, the, the, the future of the national security enterprise is a team sport. And, and it's all about the power of the network and leveraging the network to support national security problem solving. So, I mean, I think you've built a, a, a great resource that we need to try to figure out how to how to capitalize on. Well, I pre- appreciate that. I mean, there's a lot of little things that we say. One is, you know, we try to put community back in the intelligence community, basically, and we, we could call it an ecosystem. We can call it a community we could call it a network. Uh, but as you began at the, at the beginning of the uh, podcast to talk about people rather than products, uh, you know, we're, that's where our focus is, is on knitting people together and <clears throat> brokering relationships even before we broker uh, information and products. And I think that through uh, combining uh, forces, there's more to be gained than by always competing. So, so, yeah, I appreciate your encouragement and look forward to working with you more as, as uh, you grow and we grow. Sounds good, Graham. Okay. Fine